You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh, and there are no cats in America. And I'm Ari, and the streets are paved with cheese. And today we'll be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes The Most Toys and Sarek. But before we get started, um, uh, at time of recording, Michelle Nichols just passed away. Yeah. I think that leaves just three original series stars. Does it? Which would be uh, Shatner, uh, Takei, and Koenig. And, um, you know, Koenig, I don't really know what he's up to these days. He's kind of the quiet one. Is that Scotty? No, that's uh, that's Chekhov. Oh, Chekhov. Yeah, okay. I was like, my brain was like not able to... And my brain was like, Chekhov's dead. What are you talking about? Because I was thinking of Anton. Well, that Chekhov yeah. is dead, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was also yeah. very sad. It, it's sad whenever we lose a, a, a Star Trek actor. Um, yeah. I mean, I knew she had been um, not doing well. I know like she retired from the convention circuit a couple of years ago. and uh, She has she, to be really old, right? She was 89. Um, yeah. And I, I know she was dealing with dementia the last couple of years, but I had kind of hoped that we might get to see her on Strange New Worlds mm-hmm. because um, Uhura on Strange New Worlds gave like a whole backstory about how she joined Starfleet because she was going to go to this one uh, university that her parents had taught at. But then her parents died in a shuttlecraft accident and she just mm. saw them everywhere at the university. So she went to live with her grandma, who was in Starfleet. And then that's why she decided to uh, uh, join the Academy. Oh, interesting. I was just thinking, I'm like, oh, well, wouldn't that be perfect if you had Nichelle Nichols show up for like one episode to play her grandma? Right. Yeah. I I have to even imagine that they wrote that with the idea that they could have that happen. But uh, unless they filmed it and didn't tell anybody about it, uh, it's that's not going to happen now. But. There are so many people who owe their careers to Nichelle Nichols showing up on the original series. Mm-hmm. You know, so many people who saw her and said, there's a place for me in the future. Right. Yeah. I, I've seen people talk about how uh, there's issues with um, lionizing her in this regard, because the position she was put in wasn't like necessarily fair to her. I mean, it's never really fair to anybody to have to do things that they don't want to do in order to help other people because she actually wanted to leave the show but she talked to uh, martin luther king Mm -hmm. and he said that she couldn't leave the show uh even though she she was not happy there but he said look every single time you're on screen you're marching with us so it is very important that you stay there so that people see that there's a future for us yeah that makes sense and so she did God, she she was she was a great woman. Um, she was my favorite character of the original series when I was growing up watching the original series because she was the consistent female character that was there on screen, you know, right. on the bridge all the time. So she was my fa- she just automatically defaulted to my favorite character, you know, yeah. someone that I felt like I could relate to. You yeah, know? I think she was the only female uh, lead character on the show because we had Yeoman Rand in the first season, but she only right. lasted eight episodes before they fired her. And then we had uh, Christine Chapel, but she was just recurring. So, right. um, yeah, Uhura was the only like lead female lead for the series. I also grew up loving her name. Nichelle is such a pretty name. You know, mm-hmm. like it's it's not Michelle like I thought it was, you know, um, growing up, you'd hear the name and you'd be like, oh, they must be saying Michelle or Michelle, you know, I saw multiple articles that were like 
misspelling Michelle as Michelle. Really? Um, yeah. You would think by now everybody would know. Yeah. yeah. I was an eight-year-old kid or whatever. But yeah, no, I've always loved her name. Um, and it's kind of it, her and it, I always pair her with the Anne of Green Gables actress because they both have weird pronunciations of their names because like, she's Megan Follows instead of Megan Follows. Right. And so in my head, I have always put those two actresses in the same category isn't that weird like i and i thought about that when nichelle nichols died i thought because then immediately my mind was flooded with anne of green gables and i was like why are you thinking about her well (laughs) i would put them in a i think they both fit a similar category in my head of being cute girls on tv when i was growing up yeah same Yeah, I mean, I'm sad. I was sad when I saw it. I was sad to see her pass away. And then um, Pat Carroll died right after that. And then there was another there was a third person too. all like bam, bam, bam. I don't remember oh, who the-, the third one. Um, Bernard Cribbins. He died a couple days ago. Right. Wilf. <laughs> Wilf Wilfred died from, from, uh, yeah. from Doctor Who. That, that yeah. was sad, too. When I saw that, I, I just thought of that bit of Wilf saluting the doctor because he knows he's dying. I know. Yeah. It was a hard week because those like Pat Carroll's Ursula, you know, yeah. and so it was like these three like older people that have always just been around passed away in one week. But I was particularly like sad about Nichelle. Even though I'm not a huge Trekkie, I just I was still impacted by her and the impact that she had on pop culture. Now, as far as Bernard Cribbins goes, we are still going to see him at least once more because I think he was seen on set for uh, the Doctor Who 60th anniversary special. So, yes. um, And then they just released a poster today. Did I send it to you? (laughs) Did you see it? I don't think. No, I didn't see it. It's every single doctor, including Jodie Whittaker and Christopher Eccleston. All in old man makeup. Hi, editing Gayfesh here real quick. What Ari's describing is a fake poster that she fell for. I looked at it and could tell it was fake immediately once I saw it after we recorded. So uh, enjoy her describing something that she fell for. That's the whole poster. Yes. So I'm very intrigued now to see what's going on. But um, I highly doubt that uh, they'll actually bring Christopher Eccleston in. I think they just have likeness rights for him for the for the franchise. <laughs> he, oh, uh, it's, he's on the his name's on the poster. He's like credited on the poster. Right. But they might just use like archival footage of him. He, oh, he's never I see what you mean. Back. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure yeah. he's never coming back to the show. So, <laughs> so before we talk about the episodes, we need let's talk about the Patreon. That's right. Head on over to Patreon.com/slash Rest of Both Worlds, and for any amount, you will get access to these episodes up to five days early. Also, get access to a spot on the Discord where you can suggest these small talks. And for the ten dollar tier, we will read your name out at the end of each episode. Nobody's taken that one yet. You could be the first. You could be the very first. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your support. And today we're going to talk about The Most Toys, which is the 22nd episode of the third season. It first aired on the 7th of May, 1990. It was written by Shari Goodhearts and directed by Timothy Bond. I'm going to let you take it away because you have a funny thing to say about how it starts. So immediately it starts with, oh, no, they blew up Chewbacca. (laughs) (laughs) So it's pretty obvious this isn't how he goes. And there was like a shuttlecraft blowing up just like in Rise of Skywalker and how, you know, I mean, you were sitting next to me when Chewie quote unquote you, blew you up. totally bought it i you I were did. crying so hard and i'm just like he's not dead and uh, at least with rise of skywalker it was like at least there they were trying to do a fake out with uh, uh with this episode it was obviously they were only trying to fake out the enterprise crew and we know data's not dead but right 
but they fake, they were trying to fake the audience too. And yeah. I was crying. I was half crying because I was really mad about uh-huh. the way that they handled Chewie dying. If that was really Chewie's death, I was going to be mad. You but know, then they 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 like were cowards about it where they just immediately show you Chewie's alive afterward. They should have saved it. They didn't it even for let the, us worry about it. I know. They should have saved it for when they show up and they're like, oh, Chewie's here. Okay, he's not dead. Like, that's when it should have been. But, right. Yeah. But they don't, yeah, but it, that was, yeah, that that movie's that movie. But yes, the, <laughs> the, the, the episode starts and I'm like, oh, no, Data died again, like Chewie. <laughs> <laughs> well, first I said, oh, no, Data died again because he touched the circuit board or whatever it is that he touched and then he's he suddenly turned off yeah yeah so the enterprise was like having data move over some like volatile uh material from from this super rich guy and then but it turned out that the whole thing was like a ploy for them to capture data because this guy he basically has a collection of rare he's tavon yeah <laughs> unique op- yeah he's 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 tantalier tavon he's the collector and uh he even has like multiple like famous he's got dolly's melting clocks painting he's yes. got starry night and the mona lisa uh he's got um it looked like uh, he said it was like the last of a species and it looked like a little hand puppet that was from flight of the navigator that they repurposed yeah. for this but data knew exactly what it was he's like oh i thought those were extinct so i wrote down the things when he named them off because he had starry night rayjack crystal um Lowena galactopedia and malia manda tapestry and i you know what they finally have gotten over the thing i used to complain about so much in the early episodes which is they were too focused on near past 1980s stuff and they didn't make up future stuff and all of those but the starry night are future stuff I he think. did have a 1960s baseball card that still smelled of bubble gum which i i love that every time like data's alone in the room he's like sniffing the bubble gum <laughs> yeah i know well does data know what bubble gum smells like <laughs> probably but it's it well i mean the baseball card bubble gum has a very unique uh, odor to it so like i know i i get it like i i like that smell you don't ever want to chew that bubble gum because it's been sitting in that package for decades but yeah it has a smell <laughs> it does a very like sweet uh i also appreciate there was a moment where data is like practicing his mona lisa smile because he's looking at the mona lisa and he's trying to do that that just little lip curl that she's Mm -hmm. doing yeah i thought that was cute um so the guy they managed to make a guy that i hate more than that cryogenically frozen man i hate this man i hate him Oh, he's 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 the worst. Uh, he's he's the like literally the worst. worst. So I wrote in my notes: Is it Elon Musk? Before I th- <laughs> before I realized that it was more like Tavon. But like he's just super rich and he gets whatever he wants. Yeah, in that regard, I would say he probably behaves very Elon Musk like. Uh, Tantalier Tavon doesn't really throw um, tantrums when things don't go his way the way he does. Like, no, he he behaves like a spoiled rich brat who always gets what he wants, and when he doesn't get what he wants, he like. He, he defaults to murder <laughs> yeah yeah he would he knew that he couldn't disrupt her data so he brings down this girl that he's had with him for 14 years and he's like well it was nice knowing you and holds the gun up to her face like a complete psychopath yep. i was like oh my god this episode just took a huge turn like <laughs> and like meanwhile the enterprise like obviously they're all very upset because they think data's dead and I, I really appreciate the way Patrick Stewart plays that right in the aftermath of them thinking that Data just blew up. Because mm-hmm. you, you can tell he's like trying to keep uh, his emotions in check. I mean, he's angry, but he's like, you know, trying not to show the grief, but he's just right. trying to make sure that they can like 
you know, in- investigate everything. And then and then there's that moment when he accidentally says data later that plays off that moment really well, too, because that moment like made every made my heart sink. Like the show rarely does that, but it did. I mean, when he said data and they all turned and looked at him, my heart was like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. And, and Worf <laughs> takes his job. And I was just like, I wrote down in my notes. I'm like, Worf is just collecting jobs from people who have died. <laughs> and he brings that up, too. He's like, this is the second crew member I've taken their job after they've died. <laughs> well, and, and uh, Deanna was the one who broke that subject with him and he points out well on on a klingon ship that's actually pretty common that right um you know uh advancement through assassination but she's like yeah but this is a federation ship this is not a klingon ship and um i I appreciated that she you know was like look this might be a you know sensitive moment for you and i'm sure Worf, you know you you could you, you could tell that Worf was feeling you know data's absence yeah and jordy of course, is Data's best friend, and he can't let it go. And right. he just keeps playing things over in his head, and he notices he's, like, re- reviewing the logs of Data, you know, Data's transmissions from the thing, and he noticed that, like, the last time he did it, there was one thing that even though he didn't have to uh, say it, uh, he would have always said it. And, and he, he had said it the, the other time. two times, because there yeah. was three trips. Yeah. yeah. He was checking the logs, like, everything matches up, except he didn't say that one last thing. And another pilot, you could just chalk it up with, eh, you don't need to. But Data never would have not done that. Right. So they think something else is going wrong. And when they, and the, the material that they got from the guy, it was like, he was like the only one who had it. And it's a very volatile substance that nobody wants to trade in. And they had just enough to like deal with like this water poisoning situation on the planet. But then when they get to that planet and like send it down, they realize it like works much faster than it should have. And they go down and they're like, Oh, well it's because the, the poisoning is not like a natural occurring source of this crystal. Right. And so they have to like, sure lock it together that they were deliberately brought there yeah, yeah. That the whole the whole poison in the water hole was uh was this uh this guy's plan this to, man baby yeah to uh steal data basically and keep him in his collection and uh, data is obviously you know not having any of it and he uh, uh basically takes every opportunity he can to try and escape. Of course, the guy's thought of a lot of things. So, like, when Data tries to attack him, well, he's got a little personal force field that disrupts Data's positronic net. Yeah. And uh, Data's kept in a room with a door that is too heavy even for him to move, and it only works through biometrics. And, you know... But this guy isn't just content having Data in a room. He wants him to wear a specific outfit and sit in a certain chair because he's a psychopath. Right. And, like, that was where, when I was like, this is just some like spoiled dude that wants to have everything he can't have you know this is like an actual like serial killer type psychopath situation was that because i was like the fact that he like he throws some acid or something oh no it was phenoplaque <laughs> it was an acid whatever he called it it was an acid that doesn't harm data's skin but it did destroy his uniform to force him to put on the other thing and he's like look you may not have a modesty subroutine but i think you, you probably have have uh, some sense of uh, of propriety somewhere and you'll you'll figure it out you'll do the right thing and of course the next time we and see when he comes back in he's wearing he's, the outfit he's wearing the purple onesie yeah. So um, I really liked the going through his personal effects. I feel like we've done this before, though. Like, was it another time we thought he died? We went through his personal effects. 
it was measure of a man. He was packing everything up because he was oh. leaving Starfleet, and they go through all that stuff. In fact, they've got the. the it's the same stuff, right? The 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 works of Shakespeare that was the gift from from the captain and the Tasha Holocron or whatever Hologram. we call those. <laughs> Holocron is a, th- that's a different franchise. That's Star Wars, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Data's service medals. It's the same prop from Measure of a Man. Yeah. No, they went through all that stuff. Um, and, and I, you know, of course, wrote in all caps Tasha as big yeah. as I could on my paper because I got all excited, even if it's just her little hologram standing there with her hands, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was it was nice that while they're dealing with Data's death, that they also bring up Tasha's death because it would, you know, it's... Uh, uh, they brought it up two different times because mm-hmm. we already talked about Deanna brought it up to Worf and then they brought it up there, like, reminding us that crew members do die and that's why they would assume that he was dead. I felt like that was why they were doing that because at one point I was like, because Data was like, they will scan the wreckage and see I'm not in there and they're like oh we put some minor pieces of your infrastructure into the thing before we sent it off they, or whatever they, when they when they uh at the start of the episode when they disabled him they scanned his body to find all of his uh component materials and so they just put the, whatever those materials were in the same proportions that he had so when they studied the, the the debris, they'll be like, oh, yeah, no, Data's here. Those are all his trace elements. And, you know, it would have exploded enough that, like, even though they, it didn't have, like, his face or anything, it's like, well, that would have just uh, melted away or something, but the, right. the materials are all still there. Okay, that makes sense. And um, there's a line where he says, I consider this captivity a hostile act um, on your part. And yeah. I was like, yeah, that's what my cat says every time I put him in the, <laughs> in the bedroom because he can't get outside right now. I was like, it just reminded me of what a cat would say. But I mean, I I was like actually impressed with Data's like passive resistance in this yeah. episode because he could have just been like, well, for now, I'm going to put on the outfit and sit in the chair while I think of a solution. And instead, he's become human enough that he's like, no, F you, buddy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love when uh, the guy brings in his buddy who uh, voiced uh, Papa Mouskowitz. Papa Mouskowitz. As soon as he opened his mouth and started talking, I was like, oh, it's Papa Mouskowitz. <laughs> I watched that movie a lot. But Data just gray rocks. He's just like, no, he wants me to put on a show. I'm just going to stand here and I'm not going to react at all. And like the guy calls him like a mannequin. He's like, oh, I don't know. It's probably doesn't seem as impressive as you've been, been yeah. selling him up to be. And I know he made him look foolish. Yeah, makes him look foolish. And he gets mad and he like zaps him and stuff. And uh, but Data is just making it clear. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to sit in your chair. I'm not going to do what you want until he th- goes and threatens the woman with his like disruptor that's an illegal disruptor that like basically it causes a very slow disintegration a very painful it one. was horrifying when they finally did use it when we got to see it used on the lady i was like oh that's horrifying yeah uh-huh. and there's only five of those in existence and he's got four of them the collector has four so i keep i was thinking hmm wonder who has the fifth <laughs> that's a good question um but yeah, no, once once he threatens her, then Data goes in the chair because he's like, all right, all right, OK, I'm, I'm not going to let her die for my pride. I'll, I'll go ahead and do that. But right. because he threatens her life, she goes to Data afterward and is and she like opens the safe and gets the gun out. And she's like, come on, we're, we're both going to escape because obviously she's like she sees the writing on the wall. I was like, I, yeah, as soon as she was threatened, she comes right back. And I thought. In 14 years, he's never done anything that's made you try to escape. This was the first time. He, I, I don't believe that. Well, you know? she had talked because she had talked to Data earlier about how 
uh, he he gives people everything that they want so long as they obey, and he's like, and if they don't, and then she kind of alludes to some abuse that she has received over the right. years, and it almost because of the like I don't know, she had some kind of weird makeup, and it almost looked like maybe she had had a chemical burn on her face, like maybe he had grabbed some of that that acid before and threw it on I her. I could or not figure out if it was an like a burn, like she had a. She had burned like, obviously scars. Obviously, she was an alien, but she or also she like, was alien. Yeah, because she, she reached for her face when she talked about the consequences of. Oh, of not did obeying. she? I did not catch that. And yeah. so that's why I was thinking maybe it was like that. It, it looks like um like an exfoliating mask, but flesh toned. Yeah, for her. So that's why I was like, is it a burn? It could. I be. couldn't tell. Yeah, that's interesting. So in the end, I really wanted the guy to die. So they finally realized that data is is alive right yeah. they're like okay something happened they screwed us over they go back and basically without even us expecting it all of a sudden he's being teleported out right because they they are able to find him pretty much right away because yeah. he's got a low warp but at, at, in the meantime data is in the middle of attempting an escape but then he's just killed the uh, the the woman in retaliation but data's got the disruptor and he's holding it on him and the guy's like well no you can't kill anyone that would be murder and i'm just like sorry buddy anything he does to you at this point is not murder yeah (laughs) he's he's acting in self-defense he's fully justified in killing you plus is he not allowed to harm humans or is he he something about respecting humans and i was like i have no respect for this creep either you know so data has engaged in combat before i think he's he's and so so like this guy is taking a big gamble on data being incapable of murder obviously data has a respect for life but sometimes a respect for life means you've got to kill somebody to stop them from killing many to protect other people yeah Yeah. and data understands that and as data is getting beamed out o'brien's like oh he's got a weapon with him and it's discharging and then, like, uh, once data's materialized, Riker asks him about it. He's like, oh, it must have uh, gone off in the in the transport. And I'm just like, bullshit. I saw that look in your face. You were totally about to kill that dude. And no, I love yeah. That, I love he that was. they leave it a little ambiguous because it's like, well, data's not really one to lie. But I think he lied in this case. I think he tried to shoot him. I think that was the whole point of it. Yep. And I think, he, I think that was a very human response on data's part. And he watched what happened. He was there. Yeah. He was imprisoned. He had we had just had the episode where they imprison the alien guys and we're like, how do you like it? Right. And then we get this like we get another like imprisonment is not OK episode. And I was like, OK, so imprisonment's not OK. Like I felt really bad for data the whole episode and I hated this guy. Like, I don't think yeah. I've ever thought while well, watching a Star Trek episode, I hope this one dies, uh-huh. but I oh, yeah, really no, I to die. found myself going, I hope he dies. So when he does get teleported away and the guy's still standing there and obviously not getting disrupted, I was like, <sighs> but you know, he I, gets arrested. Um, yeah, he does. And Data is, goes to him in the brig, and he's just like, "Oh, you're enjoying this like role reversal." And Data's like, "No, I, I'm not enjoying anything. I'm incapable of that. I'm an android." Which is he's echoing like words that the guy had said to him earlier. It was like, "Oh, you can't feel anything. You're just an right. android." Yeah, and you, you could read it where it's like, "No, Data's very much enjoying this." Data he is. is. I thought he was enjoying <laughs> it. Yeah, for sure. And, and all of his stolen possessions are going to be returned. So I guess the Louvre gets the Mona Lisa back. I guess. <laughs> I was like, you know, he has an awful lot of Earth memorabilia. He's got, like, both Starry Night and the Mona Lisa. How does a non-human end up with both of those? Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, well, 
And how, I mean, there was a giant world war too, right? Like nuclear war, like how yeah, those things, ex- <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the true. people got them out during those wars. I, I don't know. That's, that's, that's true. But even so, I'm just thinking like, these are like some of the, and, and Dolly's. Starry uh, Night and Moni Lisa are two of the most famous paintings of ever. all time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Dolly's melting clocks, that's up there too. Oh, yeah, and that was there that, too. Yeah. yeah. And, and I like when he's like going through his stuff, like he just kind of briefly mentions, he just motions so it goes Dolly and then like immediately goes to the baseball card. Like that's the more important thing. I'm like, yeah. dude, you've got a Salvador Dolly. That's like one of his most famous works. I know. I know. <laughs> Uh, he was friends with Frida. <laughs> I just like to announce that to people sometimes. Um, uh, so I've taken to calling um, Jordy and Wesley when they're together, the Hardy Boys, because they're always trying to figure out something. So my notes are like, That's oh, good. the Hardy Boys are on the case. And it's funny because in the next episode we're about to talk about, I was like, oh, the Hardy Boys are here again. <laughs> um, so are we are we ready to talk about Sarek? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Sarek is the 23rd episode of the third season. It aired on the 14th of March, 1990. The teleplay was by Peter S. Beagle. The story was by Peter S. Beagle, but it was from an unpublished story by Mark Cushman and Jake Jacobs, and it was dressed by Les Landau. We get, I think, our second uh, original series character reprising the role here. Because we, we had, had Bones. We had Bones, and now we've got Sarek, and Sarek showed up in the original series. Uh, just for one episode, I think, but he's also in several of the movies. That must be why I know his face then. Yeah. yeah. And so he's coming aboard the Enterprise because they're like in final negotiations for a treaty with another species and he's been negotiating everything. But he's also like 93 years of prepping for this mission. <laughs> I think that was probably like I, I don't know that it was 93 years of active like negotiations with them. I, I, I assume that. had. But I felt it like it must have meant like on. the relationship building. Yeah. 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 And he's like 202 years old, so he can have that kind of a long relationship with somebody. Right. Because he's 202 years old. He's very old even for a Vulcan, and he's got, like, like his his staff, they're very protective of him, and they're like, oh, he, he won't be going about and doing things very much because we want to keep him on task for on task for the thing, and, you know, they're all very, like, cagey about what's wrong and kind of in denial about what's wrong because he's got basically a Space Vulcan... <laughs> yes, yeah, space Alzheimer's, a Vulcan dementia thing that like, causes him to lose control of his emotions. But because he also he's a telepath, what that's doing is actually projecting it onto other people. And so there is like a pandemic of uh, rage going through the ship and people are just like, there, there's like a moment when like Riker and Worf say, are talking to each other in the corridor like man it really seems like there's a there, there's some rage going on and they walk into 10 forward and literally everyone's in a like brawl a, like a comedy scene like <laughs> yeah. like like an old west like that we walked into the saloon and there's a brawl going on yeah i know i thought it was funny um everybody took this opportunity uh to have the poly water intoxication or whatever <laughs> whatever we're calling this one to yell at wesley why did they choose that like bull majority picked on wesley i was like come on hardy boys that's not how we work together <laughs> and then his mom picked on him and i was she like hit him she just she straight up slapped, slapped him i know i and was, I was so like, mad Damn. i was like bev no in my in my notes i was like no we don't hit the babies <laughs> so i actually i think 
I have to assume, though, that Wesley is 18 at this point, because, like, he was talking about... Because he and Jordy were getting, like, things prepared for the alien delegation to come aboard. Apparently they sit in, like, stinky slime pools or, or something. <laughs> Colorful stinky slime pools. <laughs> but, but like, Wesley's, like, he's, like, kind of itching to get out of there because he's got a date later. Uh, and mm-hmm. he said it was with an ensign, whatever her name is. And I'm thinking... Which would be a rank above him, right? Because he's right. an acting he's, ensign? He's acting ensign. If she's an ensign, that means she's already attended the academy for like four years and graduated so she would be an adult so he has to be 18 right now <laughs> he she's has gonna to be agree i to, hope yeah <laughs> um but uh when the the uh the rage hits them and wesley's like i want to get out of here and jordy's like you know you don't have a chance with her right she's way out of your league and then wesley had the most biting comeback for jordy which was at least i don't have to find women on the holodeck and i wrote that down going yeah. bruh <laughs> It was so good. Yeah, I know. Somebody get him some burn cream because that was really good. No, I laughed about that, too. Um, And then the other thing that I thought was really interesting is that they were doing a Mozart concert, uh, like Mm -hmm. a recital for Sarek. But, you know, with all this overprotectiveness of his aides and stuff, they were like, no. So they decided to, like, go ask the wife. Right. They were like, oh, if we go through the wife, maybe he'll come, you know. Well, and and Picard invites her and says, and Sarek is welcome to it if he wants. Right. So they they decide to go. And that's what Bev's really mad about, because Wesley didn't come to this thing. Right. And I was like, did she ever invite him? Like, I mean, maybe that was supposed to be off screen or whatever, but I didn't even know he was supposed to be there. I think that's where he was supposed to take his date, but then she wanted to go to the Arboretum instead. That's that's right. Yeah. She said, he said that she wanted to go to the, yeah. And, and and it didn't really matter what Bev was mad at him for, because it was obviously it wasn't, she wasn't actually mad. She was dealing with, uh, uh, Sarek's, uh, transposed emotions. Right. And, which is why we can forget her, forgive her for hurting the right, baby. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, look, half these people would be under court martial if their behavior had been of their own cognizance. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Like like that, that brawl right there. Everyone in that room is at least getting into motion. <laughs> I know. Um, there was so many O'Brien lines this episode, which I was excited about. And they got to write him as an asshole because he was being like, and, you know, I love I love when Cole Meany is an asshole because that's just who he is to me. Like, you know, <laughs> to be fair, they did steal his table. He was like, hey, we, we were true. using that table. They're like, well, I don't see your name on it. Go find another one. And I'm like, OK, well, you're obviously being the asshole here. But obviously, once they cut away. I wouldn't be surprised if he threw the first punch. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and the and then the bar fight. And I, there was a line that was like, logic sometimes fails us data. And I was like, that's such a good line because like I used to have this boyfriend that I found out later was hanging out on like Red Pill Reddit and stuff. Oh, good But times. he would do the whole like, I'm a logical thinker and you're an emotional thinker and any decision that you make is made with emotions. And so that really like made me jaded about people who think logic is the ultimate like decision because you're human you're an emotional creature yes that and is i have that written down actually that uh vulcans uh in, in star trek are often portrayed as like just having this dogmatic view of logic where they're not actually being logical but they think they are because they think that logic is an intrinsic quality of themselves and it's like reddit atheists who are like oh no i'm rational i'm a rational person but rationality isn't something you are it is a process that you can engage in and so um 
And, and, and yeah, we see there, there's a lot of pride that Vulcans have built into the idea of their logic. And so that, you know, a truly logical Vulcan society would feel no shame in this Bendy syndrome because it's mm-hmm. like, well, it's not your fault. You're just advancing with age. And so you can no longer control it. It kind of felt kind of Klingon-y, didn't it? Like to be like, I can't let people see my weakness. Yeah. They brought up honor quite a bit and i'm like there is no logic in a system of honor that is all pride and that's the thing that's i think that's the the vulcan's uh, cardinal sin is pride yeah yeah but fortunately you know uh when picard confronts sarek about this you know and uh, and Picard is the, lo- the logical one, and Sarek starts like you know having having a tantrum about it. He's able yeah, to realize he has okay, an actual tantrum. Yeah, he, he, he's able to realize okay, no, something's wrong here. He starts going illogical, 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 yeah. and I was like, ooh, buddy, like you got yourself, you can't even get yourself out of the pattern now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and that was like the breaking point for him. Yeah. I found this episode to be really interesting because of that, though. Because, yeah. like, it was a nice, intimate portrait of logic versus emotions, you and know? Picard is like, look, we can't have the conference because you're uh, unstable and your instability is causing everyone else to become unstable. And so they're like, but we've negotiated this for so long, we can't delay. It could destroy everything. And so um, they come up with a solution in which uh, Sarek and uh, Picard will have a mind melt. And Sarek will be able to take on Picard's uh, emotional stability to help him get through the conference. So before we talk about this, because this is my favorite part of the whole episode, I just okay. want to talk about why we never tapped Deanna to help here. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, you know, she seems a little useless. Like she was even when they observe that Sarek is crying. I was like, you know, she would have more insight here mm-hmm. than than it seems like she actually has. Like, she she should, like, obviously, everyone knows Sarek is being emotional because everyone saw him crying. Right. She should, ha- she should know more than the audience. <laughs> she really <laughs> should. That. She's an empath. And yeah. they even bring her up several times during the episodes because his little handmaiden that's keeping his mind in check without letting him know that he's actually sick. Um, he he asks, is she she's a betazoid, right? And he's like, no, he she's half or whatever. And he's like, oh, so not a full telepath. And I was like, so when they said mind meld, I was like, great, they're going to have him mind meld with Deanna. But no, it was Picard. And I was like, okay, why can't Deanna join the mind meld and help? Like, she is an empath with telepathic abilities. It was so weird. Anyway, going on (laughs) to Jean-Luc Sarek, because it is my favorite part of the whole episode. I love both of their performances after the mind meld. They're both so good. Because (laughs) they carry a piece of the other in them. Mm -hmm. When Sarek walks on the bridge, he calls Riker number one number one and he almost has, in Picard's voice he has yeah. Patrick Stewart's cadence a lot mm-hmm. of what he's saying you can hear Patrick Stewart in there and I really appreciate that performance choice uh, you, you can see yes you, you can immediately tell that he's got Picard in there and then we go to Picard who is now having to deal Anguish. with a lifetime of emotions that Sarek's kept bottled up and mm-hmm. Beverly is there to help him through it and the scene made me think so much of the original series episode, The Naked Time, when Spock, mm. 
under polywater intoxication, breaks down in the conference room crying because he was never able to tell his mother that he loved her. And Sarek had the exact yes, same regrets because right. Picard's going through it. Picard is going through how he can't tell Perrin that he loves her, how he couldn't tell Amanda that he loved her, how he or couldn't Spock. tell Spock that he loved her, yeah. him. And yeah, at now, obviously, it was there's a little bit of a, a lost moment there in that we don't actually see Sarek dealing with that. We see Picard dealing with that. But we know that because Picard is dealing with that, that that's in there. It came deep from the Sarek. mind meld. It came yeah. from Sarek. And so just seeing that. And Patrick Stewart is like the, the way that he is going through just wildly shifting mood swings in that scene i was just like oh they're asking a lot of him this episode and he he pulls it off and he delivers and i wrote it down because it's bedlam bedlam i am so old there is nothing left but dry bones dead friends oh tired oh so tired and it just reminded me of like old people when they're about to die right like i've had several older grandparents pass away and they're basically like, i'm so tired i'm just mm-hmm. ready to go you know that that's kind of what the the point of the episode is is you know uh how we deal with people who as they're getting on in years start losing their mental faculties right. and you know my my parents are still doing great but i can still see like little hints with my dad little bits where i'm like yeah this is going to start getting worse mhm i saw it happening in my mom too before we cut off contact where she wouldn't remember things that had mm-hmm. happened like 2 years before and she'd be insisting that she knew what was correct you know and it's really hard to go through and as we've talked about on this podcast i have some memory issues mostly because i deal with chronic pain all the time and when your brain is screaming pain 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 it's not really going to hold on to the memories doesn't write things down yeah and so that's why i have memory issues because i have brain fog from chronic pain but i'm in a situation where i'm married to somebody that i trust very 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 much that he'll tell me the truth and my mom is not so she she thinks she has to be right all the time and it's something that i've always been so afraid of if i got dementia that i would need to like I could like i'm thinking of my ex-husband like i don't know if he would have been a person i would feel comfortable because he would tell me what he thought I wanted to hear, not the truth. Whereas now I'm married to somebody that will tell me the truth. And so I was really feeling it with Sarek this whole episode. Like when, uh, what's the wife's name? Perrin. Perrin. When Perrin like, was like, well, I know, but I'm just trying to give him the most time or whatever. I was like, that's not fair. That's not, he's the one with the illness he needs to know. Yeah. You know? Like, so I was I was really relating to Sarek here. <laughs> I loved that they called the mind melt a terrible intimacy, and then they showed it. They showed Anteld because, uh-huh. <laughs> and I thought, because I wrote a terrible intimacy down because I was like, oh, that's a really good line, you know, like a good description. And then we got to watch Jean-Luc go through it. Yeah, mind melds have varied uh, depictions throughout the franchise. I think this is probably the most intimate one because we typically don't see other times like the people actually like afterward carrying on that piece. And where, whereas we did here. So it may just have been that this was a very two hours. We've never seen them do a two hour one. I don't think that I've yeah. seen. Yeah. Uh, I, the only other thing that's even remotely comparable that I can think of is when Spock gave McCoy his Katra. Uh, and then in Star Trek three, McCoy is just acting like Spock for the first half of the movie because he's got Spock in his brain. Uh, so yeah. It, it, 
it almost like there was a little bit of a Katra of Sarek that had been transferred to Picard. It wasn't just that they had joined minds for a moment. There was like a lasting imprint there. I think it's Doctor Who, but he like they're basically doing a mind meld and then the person starts pushing back. Do you know uh-huh. what I'm talking about? And now they're going through the doors the wrong way. I think that was an episode of Doctor Who and they were going into the doctor's mind. I'm pretty sure it was the impossible girl, Clara. And she's like, you know, oh, there's so much sadness in here because he can't keep her out. Mm-hmm. And I I felt I felt those feelings, too, because like a lot of times when we do these depictions of telepaths in like sci-fi and stuff, it's like, I'm so lonely because I have to hear everybody's thoughts. But there's the one person that can push past that. And I felt like Picard was that person for Sarah. Yeah, I was actually just thinking because we just had another telepath episode uh, last uh, the last one that we recorded. And Mm -hmm. uh, I I was just thinking about how the um, the way that Betazoid telepaths are portrayed very differently from Vulcan telepaths, where with Betazoids, it's like you can just like actively just hear everyone's thoughts at all times. Uh, Whereas with Vulcans, it's more of well, we can share thoughts if we choose to. And if we're like active about it, we can like, you know. Uh, there, there can be emotional transference and, and other such things, but it's not like a they are constantly beaming their thoughts to everyone and hearing everyone's thoughts. Which would um, be nicer. I feel like if I had to choose a type, I'd want the one I could control, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about the live long and prosper. So does it always start with peace and long life? And I just yeah. didn't know that. Uh, so if you're just doing it shortly, it's just live long and prosper. But if you do the whole thing, it is peace and long life, live long and prosper. That's, oh, so yeah, I did not know that. It's, it's like the, uh, the the Catholic benediction. The uh, And also to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Which is what uh, I say when people say, may the force be with you. But they also say that in the movies, you know. So. <laughs> and also with you. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the Vulcan uh, who was helping Sarek control the, the ability. Um, the very young one, as they kept referring to him. Sakoth. This isn't really related to the story, but I just noticed that... Uh, they did a piss poor job with his makeup because Vulcans, they always give them that like tinge of a green uh, in their in their makeup because they're they're green blooded. Green blooded. Yeah. But they didn't do his neck. Oh, I didn't notice. He's he's wearing like a, a kind of almost like a V-neck thing. He's got a lot of neck showing and it's all just they didn't put makeup on it. And I'm like, no, you got to go all the way into the collar. What are you doing? He's Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> you yeah. can see the a very stark difference in skin tones from his face to his neck. I'm like amateur hour what were they doing <laughs> thinking it was going to be seen on a 27 inch crt tv <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm wondering if they put if like they put him in makeup before they had him go into wardrobe and the makeup artist didn't realize how much of his neck was going to be showing maybe uh, just, somebody messed up yeah oh 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 men in dresses i just complained last episode or two episodes ago that there were we haven't seen a man in a dress for a long time and twice in this episode Riker and picard are in their dresses that's right i like those dresses i've always liked those dresses me too i liked them i've I've always like as a kid i didn't really see them as dresses i mean they were called dress uniforms but in my mind it's like well it's just like a long t-shirt um <laughs> right yeah i mean th- that's the thing is like they're just uniforms like they're not technically dresses but they are like a man in america right now doesn't technically not technically doesn't usually wear a dress right it's not it doesn't have a frilly skirt that's no because when we think of a dress we usually think of it it goes out like oh you know a little bit like flares out yeah yeah or or if you or or if it's like a two-piece the skirt will still have like it's more like long frills or pleated yeah 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 and um but it is, you know, long enough and, and just the way it looks. It's like, yeah, no, that that, that could I, I could see a woman wear that 
something similar to that. I mean, it's it's, uh, it's almost like a loose pencil skirt. Yeah. And the first time we saw it, I believe we saw it on a dude with like no pants under it either. So it was really a skirt. Like the first time we saw it in the first season. Right. But that's not the dress uniform. That's the scant, which is just a, a, a that's a duty uniform. Oh, that's variant. right. There's that. That's yeah. right. OK. Yeah. Anyway, I was just excited because I had just complained we hadn't seen men in dresses in a long time. Yeah. And then there they are because, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek just got woke, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just got woke in like uh, 1967 Right, when it was created <laughs> uh, I think that's all for today well, Thanks for joining us, I'm Ari And I'm Gayfesh And until next time Live long and prosper Thanks for listening If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe And consider writing a review in your podcast service We're on Twitter at Rest Both Worlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash restofbothworlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.